Well, good morning, Peace Church. Today is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I just want to say a quick hello to those who are joining us in one of our other venues and those who are joining us online. I'm excited for today because we're returning to a sermon series that we took a break from last week. Who was here and heard I, what I thought was Pastor John's very timely and profound message on the value of life? Man, did he do a good job? I thought he just did. I'm so thankful for him. We are returning today to a sermon series that we started in January as we look at a church empowered and the role of spiritual gifts, what the Bible talk, what the Bible says about spiritual gifts and their role in our lives. And so you may be thinking for a moment, hey, wait a second, Pastor, I wasn't even here. What are you talking about with spiritual gifts? Great question. Let's go back to our definition. It's been a couple weeks. Here's our, been our working definition that we have pulled from the scriptures. We've been saying that a spiritual gift is a supernaturally empowered ability given to each Christian by the will of the Holy Spirit to unite and fully equip the church to live out its mission. A couple key phrases in here. It's a supernaturally empowered ability. It may not seem supernatural in and of itself. It may not, isn't always like miracle working. Could be something very, quote unquote, mundane, like the gift of administration. The point is here is that it's supernaturally empowered, that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he has, he has empowered this gift. He's decided which Christian gets which gift. Again, these are not for everyone. These are for Christians. These are people who have repented from the ways of the world and have placed their faith in the risen Jesus. He has given each Christian a gift. Why? So that we may be united and so that we would be equipped to do what God's called us to do in this world. So we've been, for this sermon series, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to find ourselves in the middle of that section today. Go ahead and start turning there now. But let me just say this. The reason, the big why of, of spiritual gifts, why are we talking about these gifts right now? Well, the purpose is because in our growing church and with the increasing brokenness of the world around us, I want us to be a church that loves Jesus and is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work God's called us to do. Now, as, as we were preparing for this message series, we knew we were going to be preaching about this in January. So in December, I was kind of just scanning, seeing what other pastors out there were saying about the spiritual gifts. And I listened to a few other sermons from a couple other pastors, a few other pastors actually. And I, I, I didn't take me long to hear a common theme from these other pastors about spiritual gifts. Time and again, I heard them say something like this. Pastors just don't preach on these anymore. And I was thinking, and I, you know, I wanted to be like, you know what? You're right. I don't know if I've ever preached on these. And in my eight years, at least at Peace Church, I'm not sure that we have. And so with our growing church, we just wanted to make sure that we are all on the same page moving forward about these gifts. So We've decided to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the longest section that details spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture. We see spiritual gifts mentioned now and again, but this is the longest section. And this is from 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, which, is a, which were people of, um, Christians of, of a church in Corinth, Greece, 2,000 years ago. Paul helped to start this church. He starts this church. He moves on. He writes back to clarify a few things in in this, we find a great section detailing the spiritual gifts. So, with that, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 to 
to 26 today, and I really hope you have your Bible open in front of you. It's a longer section, but I think it's important for all of us to hear. So would you hear the word of the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. Will you, see those, will you say those two words with me? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Say those two words with me. He chose. If all were a single, single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not, do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, be, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The grass withers and the flowers do fade. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and let's continue. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we ask that by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, Father, we pray and I pray, Lord, that you'd give everyone here a heart to receive, the mind to understand, and the will to respond to your truth today. Lord, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what you have revealed. So, Lord, I pray that people here would get a true spiritual sense about how much your church needs them to use the gift that you've given them. And, Lord, it is in the precious, perfect, and powerful name of Jesus that we pray these things. And everyone said, amen and amen. So, church, if I give you one, one primary main point for today, it would be this. Every member is needed for the church to be the church. Every member is needed for the church to be the church. It may sound silly, but I want you to do it anyway. I want you to say, I am needed. needed. Turn to the person behind you. Tell them, you are needed. (laughs) Turn to the person you came with. Say, you are needed. I'm not sure how Paul could make this point any more clear Every part is needed. No part can say to another part, you're not needed. Every member is needed 
for the church to be the church. Every member is needed for the church to be the church. Let's say this together. Every member is needed for the church to be the church. And as we dig into our passage here today, as we walk through our scripture, here's, the, here's today's outline. You are needed. You are needed to bring contrast in our unity, to bring completion to our variety, and you are needed to bring care for our family. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Of course, speaking of our church family. So let's get started where the Bible, uh, where this section starts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Here's your first point. You are needed to bring contrast in our unity. The point is clear. Bodies have many different parts. Arms, legs, fingers, knees, toes. Yet we are one body. So it is with Christ. Christ's body, which is the church. This is the big point Paul's trying to make to us. That we, the church, we are are one. We all bring something different, but yet we are still one. Just like the body has many parts, though it's one body. Just like that uh, old game we played growing up, Operation. Remember that game? Operating on this poor guy in the 80s, he was naked. In the 90s, they actually put boxers on him. You know what's funny? Is everybody's played that game, but I don't know anyone who has that game. Anybody still have that game? Couple? All right. There's your family game time later on. Dissect a half-naked guy. There you go. This whole idea, this idea that many parts yet one, Paul's painting this beautiful picture of the church and how we function. That we have many parts, yet we are one in Christ, made one by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 13, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Do you see the unity he's just trying to emphasize here? Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, we're all made to drink of the one and same spirit. One of the things that really, really marks our day and age right now is, especially here in America, we are just absolutely in love with the notion of diversity. We can't get enough of it. We do diversity training. Every single stock photo you ever see is always careful to make sure that every single race is represented. Like we love diversity. Even, even in your Bibles, some of your headings of the section may say something like this, diversity and unity. And while unity is absolutely key to this passage and it's key to the Christian church, the point Paul is making here is, is, is not a point to try to scratch the itch of 21st century Americans. This is not the picture Paul is trying to make. And listen to me. If you know my family, you know diversity is very important to me. We do love diversity. But, but when we look at this passage, like, he's not trying to get amens from 21st century Western-minded Americans who are trying to be progressive. There's something a lot bigger going on here. Paul mentions people who are not just diverse, but who are opposites. What Jesus does is he doesn't bring just the races together. He brings enemies together. He brings people of different opinions together. Now, that's the type of diversity the world doesn't want. But Jesus does this. The Jews were not the Greeks. The Greeks were not the Jews Yes, you could point, in a sense, to a racial difference here, but there was an identity difference. There was a worldview difference. There was a belief system that was just so different between these people, and yet Jesus brings them together. He talks about slaves and free. All these worldly 
ways that we try to separate and identify ourselves. In Christ, he just smashes those and moves those away so that we could be one in him. He smashes the worldly statuses that divide us. You could say he brings blue collar and white collar together. He brings Republicans and Democrats together. He even brings Michigan State fans and U of M fans together. And the awesome thing about God bringing us together is all these different people, these enemies, these opposites, this this diverse array that he brings together, when he does that, he gives us gifts. Why? So that we can build each other up. We are brought together for the good of each other. But notice here, our unity lies in Jesus, in him, that we, have rep- that we have repented from the ways of the world. We have found our faith in the risen Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. It's him. He is the one who ties us together. He is the one who unites us together by his blood. And what this means for you is that come Sundays, when the church is gathered, we go even on those Sundays. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you, do you, do you have those Sundays where you'd rather just stay home and watch online? Where you get up and you just, it's late, you got up late, kids spill the cereal, we're running late, we're tired, why even go today? It's snowy outside. Do you have those Sundays? Anybody? I had one today, and I was like, can I just watch online today? <laughs> I was like, eh, probably not. Listen to me. Even when you walk in late, it's okay. Even when the, when the morning feels like it's fallen apart and it's not even worth it, when you get here, let me tell you, it is worth it. It's always worth it. Let me tell you why. Because when we gather, and it's so important that we do When we gather, listen to me, you're not just another brick in the wall. You're not just another person in the pew. You are what makes the church stand out. You give us contrast in our unity. You make sure we're not all the same doing all the same thing. And and if you want to debate that, let me just say this. It is the world that wants us to only think through the lens of race. But Jesus sees us so much more than just our race. Does he see that? Yes. But he sees more than that. That we are unified by his blood. He died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. That by his wounds we may be healed. Personally, racially, in the world, by his wounds is this world healed. By his wounds does he bring us together. It's by him and what he has done for us. Unity doesn't mean blending in. For the church, it means standing out. And remember, this section we're looking at, even though it doesn't really specifically mention spiritual gifts, this is in the context of a larger teaching on spiritual spiritual gifts. There's many different gifts given to many different people. And we are unified when these many different people use the many different gifts that the Spirit has given us for the good of each other. And when we do that, here's what happens. We bring completion to our variety. 
You are needed in this church to bring completion to our variety. Yes, there's a vast array of what God's doing here. But you, every single one of you who calls Peace Church home, you are necessary. You are needed to bring completion in our variety. Who here has ever pulled a trailer before? Let's see him. Raise him up high. Fair enough. Fair enough amount of us. Let me ask you this. If, if you've pulled a trailer before, or you've been a part of pulling a trailer, how, how important is this piece here? <laughs> Anybody want to pull out without this thing in place? No way. No way. Sometime I'll tell you the story about when I was about 11 years old. My dad let me hook up the trailer by myself for the first time, and I forgot to put that in. I'll tell you that story later. But here's the thing. This is such a small piece, arguably the smallest piece of the the entire like hitch setup. And it is absolutely critical. Nobody wants to pull out of their driveway without that thing in place. You may think you play a small role, but if it is the gift that God has given you, then listen to me, you are needed. You are needed for us to be the church that God has called us to be. And we can't be that church without you. And I don't want to pull out the driveway without you. Even if you are a U of M fan. <laughs> since, uh, since COVID started, we've uh, just adopted all these new phrases into our language, haven't we? And one of the, one of the phrases that just has become part of our vernacular these past two years is this term essential workers. I don't, I don't remember that term before 2020. <laughs> and yet, many people who we originally called essential workers, I've talked to these people, they don't feel very essential these days. They feel very disposable, actually. And here's what I'd say. Like, Let it not be so in the church. Let it not be so in the church that you think you are disposable. Let it not be in the church that you don't realize how essential you are. If this is your church home, you are needed. You are needed. I don't want to pull out the driveway without you. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. You want to know why you are needed? Because God chose you to have a gift that this church needs. He chose you. You to play a part here that is essential. Please don't anyone ever think you are not needed, valuable, and essential to what God has called us to do here. God has created, ordained, ordered, and designed his church for his glory and for your joy. Paul goes on to say, if all were a single member, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. As it is, yet there are many parts, yet one body. You are part of this church called to this church, given a gift for this church, you bring completion to our variety. If you're not here, we're not whole. And I know that a, uh, I know that a series like this 
in a church our size, uh, there's lots of different opinions when it comes to the notion of spiritual gifts. And that's okay. That's okay. And uh, during this series, I've gotten a number of questions sent to me on email. Love every single question. I want to help. I want to get us to uh, uniform, uniformity on this. Uh, but I got this one question emailed to me about spiritual gifts, and I thought this was like a, a really wonderfully thoughtful question. Here was the, here's the question. Does a church need every spiritual gift? Like, will God make sure every gift is covered, even if it's a smaller church? I think that's a great question. Do, do you see what's being asked here? Should every church expect to have every gift the Bible mentions represented? That's a great question. Here's what I would say to that. A church is not complete when every spiritual gift is represented. A church is complete when God has brought everyone here that he is calling here. It's about people, not about gifts. But I would say we are complete when you are using the gift that God has given you. So no, I don't think it's necessary that a church needs every single spiritual gift every single moment of the day. A church is always a bit of work in progress. The church isn't perfect, but thanks be to God that he is. So I'm not expecting that every gift is going to be represented because I believe that God will give us what we need for the times that we are in. Certain gifts may be more prevalent than others at certain times. But what I would say is that the Bible does expect that every person with, with a gift will be using the gift they've received. Why? Because the gifts are given so that each person in the church might be a part of the church being built up. And that's you. Like You should feel, you, if you're listening to me, you should feel built up because the people around you are using their gift. Just like the people around you should feel built up because you are using your gift. So the last thing I'd say, I think we see from our passage, is um, you are needed to bring care for our family. You are needed to bring care for our family. Of course, I'm speaking of our church family here. A couple years back, I uh, was at a conference for pastors. And I remember this story was told, and this has stuck with me throughout the years. There was this there was this pastor, and he was, uh, he was originally from New England, like Massachusetts or Boston or something like that. And uh, that's where he was trained, and that's where he worked as a pastor for many years. But then he, he took a call to the southern, like southernmost parts of Louisiana, like deep swamp country, Cajun country. And he gets down there, and he takes his call, and he goes, and he's, he's pastoring at this, this relatively smaller church. And uh, he's getting to know some people there. And there's a, this, this old man in the church. And if I remember right, his name was Louie. And Louie goes into the hospital for surgery. And, and while he's in the hospital, the church does their best to love on him. And while he's in the hospital, um, a couple deacons and their families went and visited him. A couple other families from the church knew that he liked this certain treat. And they, would, they went to the hospital and they snuck him this favorite treat of his. Uh, their, their Sunday school class, they had all the kids from their Sunday school class write him a note and they sent it to him. Well, Louis gets out of the hospital, successful surgery. He gets out of the hospital and he, and he goes home. And this pastor goes to visit him at his home. 
And he was talking about walking to this guy's house, and it's like swamp country. I mean, he's seeing like moccasins swim in the swamp next to him, Spanish moss, and this, this little walkway is like literally a floating bridge. And he walks up to this, this little shack that this guy lived in. This guy's out on his front porch on his rocking chair. And he said, there was, another, there was another rocking chair there. So he, he goes, the pastor goes and sits in this rocking chair, and they're rocking together. And he says, he says how you doing, Louie? How you doing, Louie? And Louie says, oh, not good, Pastor. Not good, Pastor. And Pastor goes, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he goes, oh, Pastor. He said, nobody came to visit me, Pastor. Nobody came to visit me. And the pastor's sitting there thinking, Louie, I know that's not right. He started naming different deacons and family members that came to visit him. And he goes, no, nobody came to visit me, Pastor. Nobody came to visit me. Pastor come to realize it was because he didn't come visit him. Because the pastor didn't come visit him. Now listen to me. Like, I don't fault a man for wanting his pastor to come visit him when he's in the hospital. Of course he does. That's a good thing. What breaks my heart about this story is that this man didn't see the care he was getting from his church as valid care. He didn't see it as valid love because the pastor didn't do it. Because the pastor didn't do it, it wasn't good enough for him. That's what pains me about this story. Church, listen to me. The pastor is not the head of the church. Please don't make me the head of this church. Please don't make our pastors the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And we are called the body of Christ. I mean, like, let's play this out for a second here. Jesus is the head. We are united to him. We, we are his body. You know what that means? That means when the church comes around you to wrap our arms around you and to love on you, like, that's like Jesus doing that. Like, we are the body of Christ. When we love you, it's like Jesus wrapping his arms around you. God has created his church. And Paul says that there may, may be no divisions in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. No divisions. That doesn't just mean disagreements on politics. That means we don't elevate others above other people. There's no divisions among us. We are all one and the same in Jesus. That's what it means when we say no divisions here. I love what one author said about this passage, this, this specific passage. He writes, God has planned that the members of the church should care for one another. And the insertion of the word same, right here, same, guards against partiality. In the body, all the members, without distinction, work for the good of the whole. And no care is lavished on one member to the detriment of the others. And I love that when you, when you, when you do a word analysis of the original language, this word care here, Yes, it does mean care, but in the original language, there's a much stronger emotional connection there. In fact, this word is very much tied to the word for anxiety, that we are anxious for each other. This further compounds the idea that we don't just care for each other as in providing for physical needs, but that we are emotionally invested in one another. So that when one suffers, we all suffer. And if one is honored, we all rejoice together. 
Paul is saying that by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, by the goodness of God, we are tied together spiritually, functionally, emotionally. I care very deeply about the care of this church. I'm afraid some of you are zoned out right now, and I want you to hear my heart on this. I care very much for the care of this church. You guys know that we're dealing with a major septic issue right now, but I don't lose sleep over that. We are growing so much that we have visitors come every single week, and one of the feedbacks we hear is that they just don't feel like there's room for them. That bothers me. But the thing that haunts me, the thing that keeps me up at night as a pastor, is that there's people here who don't feel like they're loved or cared for. That I cannot tolerate. We'll figure out the building stuff when we figure it out. But there are people here who need to feel the love of Jesus. And it's going to take us, all of us, using the gift we are given to see this church built up so that we can be the church God's called us to be. And I think one of the defining markers is the love that we have for one another. We have to be loving and caring for each other. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, he says, As we have ever, every opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul's not trying to develop a little clicky club here. What he's trying to tell us is that as much as you want to love your neighbor, and listen to me right now, I know the prevailing thought for modern Christians right now is that we got to love our neighbor. Yes, we do. That's the second commandment. Let's work on the first one, loving God. We can do both together, but let's not forget the first. But if we're going to love our neighbor, Paul says we got to love each other first. Because if the church isn't a a great example of being a family that loves each other, I'm not sure how great of a testimony we're going to have when we go out there and try to, quote-unquote, love our neighbor. We need to be caring for and loving each other. And notice that Paul says here, the household of faith, because the church, the body of Christ, is a family. And you are needed. You are needed for this to happen. This can't just be me. This can't just be our elders. Can't be just our staff. Can't be just be X, Y, and Z. It needs to be all of us. And I hope that you feel the love of Christ in the way that this church loves you. I hope that you recognize that you, when you use your gift, you bring contrast to our unity. When you use your gift, you make sure that we're not all just an ear that all the parts of the body are represented, that you, when you use your gift and do your part, you bring completion to our variety. We're not complete unless you are doing what God has called you to do. And this one is big for me, that we bring the same care for us all, that we love and care for each other. Do you know how we do that? I mean, do you know know that the motive for that is the love that God has for us? When we look at the love that God has so lavishly poured out on us, that should fill us with the love that we bring to each other. Because let me remind you again, every member is needed for the church to be the church. That means you. That means you. Amen. Would you please stand? As you stand up, I want to make a, one last plug for something that we're really pushing here in January, and that is our push for community groups. In a larger church setting, 
We have more people. That means more opportunities to deepen friendship and deepen your love and accountability. We want everyone to at least seriously consider joining a community group. That's one way to feel cared for. That's one way to care for others. It's by helping to build the community here at Peace through our community groups. Again, these are groups that are in smaller, smaller groups to deepen friendship, to grow spiritually, to serve, and to care for one another. Do you know what also should happen at these groups? That should be like the primary place for you to discern your spiritual gift. Tests are helpful. Bible study are helpful. But I think our spiritual gifts, we discern those, and those are affirmed and confirmed by brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking alongside of us who can help us recognize those things. Community groups is a way to do that. So here's my big ask. Would you at least consider joining a community group? You can go to peacechurch.cc slash, it's real easy, slash community groups. Great place to get started. As you just think about, pray, maybe God's called you to deepen your community here so that you could use your gift to see this church built up and so that this church would feel loved and cared for. All right. You are needed and we can't be the church we are called to be without you if God is calling you here. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you for your church. We thank you that in our church, so unlike the world, that in your church, every person is needed for us to be the church you are calling us to be. And I would pray that people take this to heart. That if they look at their lives and they think, I'm, I've been on the sidelines, Lord, I pray that you'd call them off the sidelines. That they'd put into action the, the gifts that you've given them so that you may be glorified that they may find joy and that our brothers and sisters might be built up. I thank you, Lord, that the love that we get to have is from you. The love that we get to share with others is the love that you have first given to us through the life, death, and resurrection. Lord, we know there's a fount that is full of love for us that we can drink from and share with others. So Father, I pray here and now by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit who, who unites us together, we'd raise our voices as one. Though we are many, we'd raise our voices as one giving you glory for what you are doing in our lives and in this church. Father, call us to something more. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen.